bearing a lot of fruit. And can you come here? Let's just pray for Steve. Father, we thank you for Steve. We thank you for his heart. We thank you for his tenderness and just how he's given his whole life, Lord, now to serve you, to equip others, to touch the lost, to to release the gospel. I pray, Father, for your love just to flow through him. And we just ask for open hearts, God. You have something special to release to us tonight. And just help us to receive that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bob. That was awesome. Let's give it up for Bob, huh? Faithfully serving Jesus. He's a part-time comedian and shepherd to this house. Love it. Well, Bob did a little bit of an intro, but I'm going to do a little bit more. um, Just so you guys can understand a little bit of my background. Um, I grew up in uh, what I would describe as... I guess I'm still not untangled here. I'm going to work on this. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. Um, I grew up, uh, and my parents did not have a living relationship with Christ, but they wanted me to have some moral direction in life, and so they took me to uh, um, what I would describe as a nominal Lutheran church. I grew up, uh, my sister was born in Chicago. We lived there for a while. I was born in North Carolina. We moved to Fargo, North Dakota. Anybody seen the movie? Know anything about Fargo? I've lost my accent since I moved to the Twin Cities. Um, I'm missing a front tooth. If if anybody noticed that, it's just I'm kind of, my wife calls me her hillbilly preacher now. So um, I actually lost it in a bar fight 15 years ago, before I knew Jesus, and it just recently fell out. But um, I uh, so I grew up. Uh, going to church and I got confirmed and I thought there were a lot of nice stories but it the gospel never really laid hold of my heart after I got confirmed my parents said you can go if you want to go or not go I said you know what there's a lot of other exciting things to do as a 13 year old I think I'm going to head off and and uh, try the world out for a little bit and I did that Um, grew up in high school was involved in theater ended up in the military uh, went to uh, got my undergraduate degree in philosophy, so I studied all the great thinkers of the world. And then I ended up coming down to uh, the Twin Cities because with a philosophy degree, you have two career options. You can play guitar in front of a bookstore or you can go to law school. <laughs> so I went to law school, came down to the Twin Cities by a miracle of God. Now that I look back on it, I got into the University of Minnesota. At the time, it was ranked 14th in the nation. Um, came out of law school and started a law firm with a six or seven other young whippersnapper attorneys. Got a high-end BMW, bought a bunch of Armani suits, moved into the top floor of a building downtown, was renting limousines and town cars on the weekend to party. That was my lifestyle, flying around the country, staying at the W Hotel. And then I had an encounter with the third person of the Trinity named the Holy Spirit. And he introduced me to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, and the first person, the Father. And my life, forever from that day, literally in a moment, I had a revelation that I hadn't lived for God, that I was, I had just had an encounter with him, and from that day forward I was living for him. That was about ten years ago. 
And since that time, for about three years, I was in the marketplace um, because I, once I came in the kingdom, I thought, okay, now I'm going to do something sanctified. I'm going to make a bunch of money for Jesus. Anybody ever had that thought come into their head? Okay, a couple honest people in the back. Awesome. That's great. Um, but that was not Jesus' plan for me. Isn't that awesome? He actually had something different in mind. He was calling me to be a missionary. And so seven years ago, my wife and I answered a call from Jesus to sell everything we own and to follow him. And for the last seven years, we've been pursuing him very hard. Um, In fact, I can say that we've been engaged in a life of prayer and fasting and obedience. We have seen spiritual warfare of an epic proportion. Um, I've gone through near-death experiences We've mobilized the church for citywide outreaches. We've raised up messengers. We've cast out demons. We've healed the sick. We've seen people raised from uh, a place of spiritual deadness to life in Christ. We've washed the feet of the poor. We've seen many people saved. Um, we've, we've seen, we've actually been part of, by God's grace, seen thousands in the Twin Cities receive the gospel message. And it all comes down to this. Everything that I've learned in God comes down to this one statement. And that is that this is all about being in an intimate love relationship with a holy God and introducing other people to him. It's all about that. I love how Jesus says it in Matthew 22. Why don't you go there with me? Matthew 22. We're going to start in verse 37. The word of the Lord says this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says something in verse 40 that's remarkable. He says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know what I love about that passage? Is that it basically says, you know, everything in this book. It's all about loving God and loving people. It's all about loving God and loving people. And as an evangelist, my calling is to equip you to do the work of evangelism. That means to partner with the Holy Spirit to see others come into a knowledge of God because I think we all have some sense of how to love God, although we're going to talk about a little bit more of that today, what the Bible says about how God desires that we love him. But and there's a lot of loving things that you could do for someone. You can hold a door open for them. You could bring a hot meal over to someone. You could even make a commitment to a long term investment in someone's life. But I would suggest to you that the best way that you can love someone is to introduce them to the source of all love. Isn't that right? Because after a certain point, they're going to be tired of getting just the fumes and the remnant of my relationship and my love relationship with God. At some point, I've got to introduce them to the source. And once they have that relationship, that's when it all begins. Isn't that right? So 
What I've learned as an evangelist, though, is I can't just come in here and say, this is how you do evangelism. It doesn't work like that. Because truly the work of evangelism flows out of love relationship with the Father. It comes out of a place of intimacy with the Father. If you don't have intimacy in your personal life in God, it's very difficult for you to have anything to give away to anybody else. Okay, we don't need anybody out there giving away religion. What we need them giving away is the reality of intimate relationship with a living God. And so it may seem a little contrary for an evangelist to come in and start talking to you about intimacy. But I would suggest to you, beloved, that this is the very foundation of the work of ministry. In fact, this is how Jesus did ministry. He spent time with the father and out of his time with the father, all the fruitfulness of his ministry came. So I'm going to I'm going to spend whatever time we have the next 30 or 40 minutes talking to you about laying this biblical, the biblical basis for God's call to first love intimacy. Now, after seven years of very active ministry, and we've been, uh, I would say, a pretty frenetic ministry with a lot of activity, doing a lot of outreach Spirit led. I mean, we're going to Jesus and saying, Father, what, you know, what would you have us do? He would give us a download and then we'd go out and do it. But at the end of these seven years, we had just done a huge outreach called the King's Banquet. Anybody heard of the King's Banquet? We got some some that have been there and just seen God's power and his grace move as the church comes into agreement with his heart for the poor. We had just finished that outreach last November and we're in a prayer time every week. We gather together just to sit at the feet of Jesus And uh, the Lord began to speak to us as a team. And he said, I'm calling you into a season of laying foundation for a greater work. And that foundation is intimacy with me. So we were being called. I want you guys to turn with me. There's a there's an awesome passage that God used to speak to us as we're making this transition from busyness in ministry, all very good stuff to intimacy with Jesus. And it's located in the gospel of luke chapter 10 this is just this amazing picture i think that the lord is speaking to the church in this hour we're going to pick up in verse 38 luke 10 38 he says this and jesus and the disciples continued on their way to jerusalem they came to a certain village where a woman named martha welcomed him into her home her sister mary sat at the lord's feet listening to what he taught Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that scripture just sort of comes against everything that our culture teaches us, that to be productive, we've got to be doing a lot of stuff. Has anybody ever felt that, that spirit of the age kind of pressing in on you going, do stuff, do stuff. Where's your productivity? Do stuff. And we came out of a season of of seven years of doing a lot of stuff. And the Lord was saying, you've been you've been worried about the big dinner. And there's you know, there's a place for that. There's a place for doing work. How many know we can't just sit on the couch and expect things to happen in the kingdom? Okay, I mean, there's a time where we got to put down the remote control and get up and do what God is telling us to do. Amen. 
But there, there is a call upon the New Testament believer to understand the wisdom of sitting at the feet of Jesus and being very intentional, intentional about connecting to his heart. And so he was speaking this scripture over us. And we got some what I considered at the time to be very shocking instructions. He said, Stephen, I want you to stop all activity. I had known we were coming into a season of foundation length. So I thought, okay, my understanding of it was, well, let's not do any major citywide outreaches. Let's, you know, cut it back a little bit, maybe a few less meetings. Let's work on our website. Jesus wants that to be part of our foundation. Let's get a staff manual because we were having more missionaries come on staff. Let's get some of those foundational pieces of, of the operations of the ministry in place And Jesus said, no, you don't understand me. I'm actually asking you to shut down everything. I don't want you to do weekly outreaches. I don't want you to do citywide outreaches. I don't want you to do meetings. I want you to to sit at my feet for the next three months doing nothing but worship and prayer. I said, oh, wow. (laughs) That's a little bit challenging. And yet part of me, like, I think our spirit on the inside just, like, goes, yes. You mean I get to stop doing all this stuff and just sit at the feet of Jesus? Now, I know that for everybody, that might not be a reality. But for some of you, the Lord is calling you into an extended season of intimacy because God is always wanting to do surgery on us. And there are surgeries he can do in five minutes at a communitas prayer time or a 15 minutes or 20 minutes at a prayer altar. There's other surgeries that take a week to do. And there's still other surgeries that take three months to do. And so if we don't create those spaces for God to do that work in us, we're missing out on the fullness of his kingdom. And so I I feel like God wants to release a perspective on this to you, that it is wisdom to sit at Jesus' feet for extended periods of time. And you're going to be amazed that when you stop doing stuff for three months and actually just come and sit at Jesus' feet, how much he has to say. He's got a lot to say. He's got a lot of things that he wants to speak into your heart. And he did with me personally and he did with us corporately. It was a very powerful time. In fact, I think I moved further in God in three months than I did in the preceding seven years. And this is what I know, beloved, and I believe it by faith and I believe I've seen it in my own life. The time you spend in the secret place with Jesus is directly connected to your eternal fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. Now, we can know all that stuff, but when it comes to the rubber meeting of the road, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as we break out the word of God, when the rubber meets the road, we've got a lot of hard decisions to make about the choices that we make about how we spend our time. And there's a lot of other things competing for our hearts and competing for our time. But Jesus, I believe the Father wants to assure us that sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most valuable thing that we can do in this hour. Amen. So I'm going to I'm going to attempt by the power of the Holy Spirit to unfold the eternal purposes of God from Genesis to Revelation in about 20 minutes. Pray for me. No, really, let's pray. Father, this is impossible. How could we understand who you are or search the depths and the riches of your glory in a matter of minutes? And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come 
that you would unfold the scriptures to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would settle these things in our hearts, Lord. What do you desire of us? Come, Holy Spirit, and make your word come alive. Bring glory to Jesus. Show us what you've desired from the beginning. You made us for intimacy. You made us for relationship, God, from Genesis to Revelation. Let us see your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins in the, in the book of Genesis. Isn't that a good place to begin? It begins in the book of Genesis, and we have the creation account in the first chapter of Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve in his own like, likeness, Genesis 1.26, to be in relationship with him. That was the purpose of it, and they had intimate relationship with him. God spoke to Adam and said, I, I'm giving you dominion over all this. He, the scriptures tell us that he walked in the cool of the night, that they had conversations and fellowship with God. I'm not talking about they just spoke out into outer space and then hoped an answer came back. No, they saw God and they weren't afraid. And, and he spoke to them. They had conversations like I'm standing in front of you. And they spoke back to him. I mean, they had incredible intimacy. The Garden of Eden was God's design. He made us to have relationship with us, to reveal his glory to reveal his love. He wanted someone to love and to allow his love to pass through back to him. It's this amazing thing. The love that the Trinity experienced. It's amazing. The language in the, in the book of Genesis it says, let us make them in our image. He's already speaking in plural. He's already talking about a God that exists in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's saying, let's create them to invite them into relationship and share our glory with them. This is amazing. It's incredible. It's incredible. And you know the story from Genesis 3. There's this tree, the pesky tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't like, has anybody ever wondered why did the Lord put that tree there? I mean, if that tree's not there, then we don't have all the issues that we have. I mean, one little tree, if it's just gone from the story, we save a lot of problems, a lot of trouble. So why is it there? Has anybody ever wondered that? I know I have. That's good, brother. That's right. Because for relationship and love to be real, there has to be the ability to reject love and reject relationship. And so that tree in the garden represents a choice that we all have. And in fact, the temptation that the serpent brought to Eve first and then Adam was God doesn't want you to eat this because if you eat it, you're going to be like him. And that's the same lie, actually, that we're wrestling with today. Are we going to and this is at the core of the gospel. This is at the core of. The question of where are you going to spend eternity, it hinges on the, on the way that you answer that. Are you going to continue to live like you are God? Or are you going to turn and love and serve the real one?
God highly values love and relationship. He highly values choice. Because God knew when he put that tree there that child pornography was going to come of it. That genocide was going to come of it. That atheism and Satanism and the worship of demons was going to flow out of him providing that choice for us. And yet he said this within himself. He said, I so value their love. I'm going to I'm, I'm willing to 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 make this costly decision to place this tree here in the hopes that one day they'll see who who I am and they'll turn to me and be healed and be restored to relationship. He so values love. He so values relationship with us. Do you see how costly it was for him? So they eat of the tree. Adam and Eve chose to reject love, to reject relationship, to believe the lie that they could be their own God and that they didn't need the real God. And that's when the separation came between God and humanity. You guys know this, don't you? These are the, these, this is the stuff of Sunday school stories, except it's real. So God, with a broken heart, sends Adam and Eve out of the garden and he closes the gates and he stations a cherubim, a mighty cherubim, the scriptures say, in front of the gates to the Garden of Eden. I would say the Garden of Intimacy with a flaming sword before it. Do you remember this? Genesis 3.24. And yet even in the midst of, 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 of recognizing that separation had come between him and between his beloved, in that moment he set his heart on a rescue mission. Even while they're leaving the garden, he's like, I've set my heart on you. I've set my heart on you. From that moment on, God had determined in his heart that he was going to rescue us and bring us home. We flash forward to Moses. Everybody remember Moses from Sunday school? Okay. Are you guys with me? Okay. All right. He appears to Moses in a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. If you recall, the people of Israel at this point have been enslaved for about 400 years. And God, at this time, was calling them back into relationship with himself. Are you noticing a theme here? Okay. So Moses brings them out of Egypt, which is, by the way, a shadow and a kind of the Lord bringing us out of the world system. Amen. So he's bringing us out of the world. He's bringing us out of a system of idolatry and worldliness and darkness into the promised land, which again is a shadow and a kind of the kingdom of God. Okay? And so the Lord is saying, bring them to me. Moses brings them back to Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, because God wanted to reveal himself to the people of Israel. And you're going to go with me to Exodus 20. Go with me to Exodus 20. We're going to find out what happened. God comes down. They, Moses, he tells Moses to have the people prepare themselves, to wash their clothes, to consecrate themselves. He's going to appear to them. And he comes down on top. He comes down on top of the mountain like a fire. Do you remember this? Literally, the mountain is shaking. Smoke is rising. 
fire is consuming the top of the mountain. Listen to the response of the people in Exodus 20, verse 18 to 20. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we'll die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. I want to uh, just stop here to bring forth an important principle of intimacy with the Lord. Like the story in the book of Exodus, Hebrew twelve twenty nine testifies that our God is a consuming fire. How many know that our God is a consuming fire? He's intense. He's intense. And so in part, this is a normal reaction to coming into the presence of a holy God. And yet I believe that he is calling us to step into that fire. God has given me a picture to sort of describe this. You guys all know about justification because of what Jesus has done. We can come before God because of the blood that was spilt. And yet there's another process that God calls us into called sanctification. Have you heard of this? It's a progressive process where we partner with the Holy Spirit to address things in our heart, address darkness in our heart, address things that aren't in alignment with the word of God. And God reveals those things so that he can draw us closer to himself, that he can bring us near to him. You see, God's ultimate hatred of sin is not even so much how horrible it is, although it is horrible, but it's because it separates his children from him and he longs for intimate relationship. A lot of us have this weird view of sin, I think, that somehow like God is sitting up above the circle of the earth, sort of, you know, kind of this angry old guy who's saying, don't do this and don't do that. Like we're in a candy store and we just can't touch anything. When the reality of it is we're in a cancer ward and God is saying, come to me and be healed. Come to me and be healed. Every time that we say yes to God, when you're born again, you essentially are beginning a journey into the throne room of God. And every step you take, every weak yes of your heart actually draws you closer into his presence. It actually deals with more darkness. And, and you guys maybe have experienced this. I call it progressive sanctification, where the stuff you're doing this week all of a sudden isn't okay. Last week it was okay, but now this week all of a sudden God's making an issue of it. Has anybody experienced that? Okay. That's that process of growing in intimacy with God. As we get closer to him, his holiness permeates parts of our lives that are still in darkness and things we didn't see last week. Now we see. The other part of that, you know, what I've seen in the hearts of believers is is a little bit too often like the response of the Israelites when they saw the consuming fire on the mountain. We get born again and we're all excited and we begin to press into our life in God. And then all of a sudden, oh, he comes and he touches on something that's a little too close to our heart. And we begin to kind of slip our hand up and go, I think I'm okay about here. Anybody ever felt that or seen someone going through that process of going, well, I don't know. I think I'm comfortable about right here in the Lord. 
The problem, beloved, is that we're always moving in the spirit. There's no such thing as treading water in the kingdom. With every yes, we draw closer to the Lord and with every no, we drift. I assure you, and I've met many backslidden believers, some who you would not recognize that they profess Christ by the fruit of their lives. And I guarantee you that almost none of them got up one morning and said, you know what, I think I'm tired of this loving God thing. I'm going to hate him for a while. It doesn't work like that. It's a thousand little no's that over an extended period of time cause us to drift and drift and drift until all of a sudden we're out of the presence of the Lord and we don't understand what happened. Too often New Testament believers take the posture of the Israelites. They want to keep a healthy distance from the fire and have someone else pay the price of going into the fire like Moses did and then bring back the mysteries of God's heart. And I believe there's a place for that. There's a place for pastors and teachers. They're anointed to do that. But I believe we're in an age where the Lord, particularly in our generation, in our nation, where the Lord is calling all of us to step into the fire, even though it's costly. It's costly to your flesh. It's costly to the demonic strongholds in your heart. It's costly to your schedule. There's a lot of things we often talk about. Our job in the kingdom is to see if we can get as many people messed up for Jesus as possible. And getting messed up will cost you something. We're going to come pick up the trail of the story of Moses because he comes back down the mountain and God accommodates the people. He says, okay, they're not ready for intimacy with me yet. And he had his purposes in the season of the law and the prophets. He comes down with instructions for building the tabernacle. Do you remember this? They built the outer court. You know, kind of a series of of curtains all the way around the outer court. This is the place where the elders and the priests would come to make and leaders of the people would come to make sacrifices and to receive instruction through Moses or through Aaron, who had been spending time with the Lord. And then there was the holy place that was kind of an inner area that only the priests would go in to minister to the Lord. And then there was the most holy place. Do you remember this? And in the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Ten Commandments were on the inside, and Aaron's staff, and a, a jar of manna, just reminders of God's faithfulness. And above the Ark of the Covenant would rest the abiding glory of God. In fact, there's one point after they construct the tabernacle where the glory of God comes down. It's this amazing scene. The glory of God changes everything. Nobody stands in the presence of the Lord. When a Shekinah glory comes down, we're all on our face saying, praise the lamb. And between the holy place and the most holy place, there was a heavy curtain. And that heavy curtain represented the separation that had come between God and humanity when Adam and Eve chose to reject love and to reject relationship with the father. So that curtain was there as a reminder, even though God was trying to give us a picture of what was coming, 
that there was a way coming for us to come back. So for the next 1,200 years, God continues to reveal himself through the judges and the prophets. And the basic message is this. You'll remember if you study the books of Kings and Chronicles and First and Second Samuel, there's these amazing stories of how the people of God have encounters and revival and sort of reformation and they all come back to the Lord and then they begin to fall away. And then they come back and then they fall away. You remember these stories. There's a good king and then there's a bad king. There's the king who did things that were pleasing in the sight of the Lord and then the king who didn't do things that were pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And so it just kind of reflects our natural tendency to get excited about the things of God, to press into him, and then all of a sudden we start leaking that zeal and that and that exuberance. Has anybody ever experienced this? Am I the only one? Okay, we've got some other witnesses. So the prophets and the judges, their basic message is, come back, come back, come back to God. Remember your first love. Then we have an amazing thing that happens. Then God reveals himself in Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jesus arrives on the scene, born of a virgin. Luke 1, 26 to 38. And as the fulfillment of numerous prophecies, by the way, there are so many Old Testament prophecies that predict the coming of Christ. In fact, if only eight of them were if we only used eight of them, mathematically, it would be like one out of ten to the 17th power. Just literally mathematically impossible that one man could fulfill even eight of the messianic prophecies. I think I've counted about 40, and there's others who have counted way more than that. So I want to tell you tonight with radical assurance that was never done in the life of any other spiritual guru ever. There were no prophecies about Muhammad that were fulfilled. There were no prophecies about Buddha that were fulfilled. These men came out of nowhere. Okay, There was no testimony of the living God to the truth of what they taught. But to Jesus, there was. Jesus, we can just embrace incredible confidence in our inner man that this man truly was the Son of God. Only on the basis of fulfilled prophecy. I don't even have to get into the other radical testimonies of his reality including our personal transformation testimonies the eyewitness accounts the testimony of scripture the testimony of the spirit the testimony of the creation jesus literally says in john 14:9 if you've seen me you've seen the father Jesus demonstrated and proclaimed God's desire to reestablish relationship with humanity. Jesus came to deal with the sin problem that Adam and Eve had released into humanity. He came to address the root issue, which was sin and rebellion. The fact that we had chosen to reject love and reject relationship with God. When Jesus gave his life up on the cross... He made a way for us to go back into the garden. Let's look at what the scriptures say about this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. 
Matthew chapter 27. We're going to pick up there in verse 50. At this point, Jesus is on the cross in the gospel of Matthew. And he says an amazing thing. And then something amazing happens. Jesus shouts out again and he releases his spirit. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Would you say that's significant given where we've been in the biblical narrative? Something significant just happened there. Something that had been wrong for 6,000 years of human history just got made right in a moment. And all of a sudden, that place where we couldn't burst into the Shekinah glory of God. In fact, the old te- Hebrews tells us that only someone, you know, the only person that went into the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and he went in one time a year after he had made sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of the people. And tradition tells us that they would tie a rope around his leg in the event that he had forgotten a sin to confess and by the holiness of God was struck dead and they would have to drag him back out of the Holy of Holies and appoint a new high priest. That's intense. Amen? This is a big deal. The God that we should be afraid of all of a sudden is saying, I've been satisfied in this sacrifice once and for all time. Come into my presence. Experience my glory. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Now the angel in front of the gates of the garden puts the flaming sword away and says, all who are in Christ may enter here. And now we can come back into a place of knowing God, knowing Him, walking with Him, talking with Him, holding Him, by the indwelling Spirit, have such deep intimacy, intimacy that's greater than a man can have with another human being. By the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can actually dwell on the inside of Christ, and He dwells on the inside of us. It's a term in Greek called perichoresis, or mutual indwelling. That's intimate. That's not forehead to forehead. That's somehow by the mystery of Christ, we're on the inside of him and he's on the inside of us. I remember one time when I was in worship. And I was just, I had this longing in my soul. Jesus, if I could just hug you, I just, I'm longing for the day that I can hold you and wrap my arms around you, Jesus. And he spoke to me as clear as I know God speaks. He said, Stephen, you can have greater intimacy with me than a physical embrace. I'm dwelling on the inside of you. And I just wept and wept and wept and just felt the presence of Christ lay hold of me. That's what God died for. That's what the Son of Man died for. Not at some future point, but right now. It's amazing. All this is really important because if in the all the trappings of Christianity and all the glorious 
doctrines and teachings that we celebrate the cross and, you know, uh, the atonement and all of these incredible things. If you miss the whole point of it, which is intimate relationship with the father, then you've missed it all. We can experience Christian religion and not experience any intimacy and beloved. We've missed it all. We've missed it all. It's the foundation of our life in God. Intimacy with God is not optional. This is a salvation issue. Knowing Christ is a salvation issue. I guarantee you, when you stand before the Lord on that day, when the day of the Lord comes and it is coming upon the earth, it's a great and terrible day. It's a great day for those of us who know Christ. It's a terrible day for those who don't. On that day, I I guarantee you, there won't be an angel standing there with a little clipboard saying, do you believe in the virgin birth? Check. Do you believe that Jesus gave his life on a cross? Well, yes, I do. Check. And so on and so forth down the list. I guess you all check out. Come on in. Those are all important truth claims, and we need to believe those truth claims. Beloved, but I would propose to you that the only thing that's really going to matter on that day when you're on your face before the living God in his glory and the son of man is seated at his right hand, the father is going to turn to him and say, son, do you know him? And Jesus is going to turn to the father by his grace and say, he's with me. Come on in. I don't think that the scriptures are talking about informational knowledge. When the father asked Jesus, do you know him? And when we have the different accounts throughout the scriptures where, and and you're familiar with them, there's some of the scariest passages in the word of God. You know, where people say, Lord, Lord, and you know what his response is, get away, I didn't know you. I don't think what Jesus is talking about there is informational knowledge. Because I believe that Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. The scriptures tell us that he formed us in our mother's womb. They also tell us that every hair on our head is numbered, that God has so many thoughts about us. It's it's more it's they're more numerous than the sands of the of the shore. The psalmist tells us so he knows it all. He knows the beginning from the ending. I believe what he's talking about is relational knowledge that comes from sitting with someone and sharing your heart. That's the kind of knowledge that Jesus is looking for. And that's the kind that he gave his life for us to have. I want to ask you guys to go to Revelation 2. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is now the ascended Christ. The book of Revelation says that it is the revelation of Christ. And we see God's heart for first love intimacy in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. I'm going to read this if you guys can follow along. He says, I know all the things you do. Now he's speaking to the church of Ephesus. This is both an encouragement and admonishment and a rebuke. He says, I know all the things you do. 
I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you do not tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. There's some good things going on in this church. They're enduring. They're long-suffering. They're working hard. They don't tolerate evil people. They're examining the claims, the scriptures. They're being Berean. And he says this in verse 4, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. The Nicolaitans, it's believed uh, that the Nicolaitans were a group of believers that followed a heretical teaching by an elder of the early church in Jerusalem that the grace of God was permission to continue in sin and licentiousness. So kind of this hyper grace that you can do whatever you want because Jesus has spilled his blood. And Jesus is saying in this, the good thing, the thing you have in your favor is you hate their evil deeds and the things that they're teaching just as I do. And then he says in verse seven, this incredible phrase that we see in several parts of the book of Revelation. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, the fruit from the tree of life is eternal life. So everyone who is victorious, I'll give eternal life. He says, anyone with ears to hear. He would often say this when there was a hard teaching that he brought, when there was something that was difficult for us in our flesh to receive. He said, those who want to hear the truth will hear what I'm saying. Because there's a built-in mechanism in all of us that kind of resists hard things. And so we gave this extra exhortation that those with ears to hear listen to what the Spirit is saying. Now, I don't know what it means to remove your lampstand, but it doesn't seem good, does it? No. I'm not going to speculate on that, but it just doesn't seem good. I would say that intimacy is a front-burner issue with God. I loved what what Ben prayed and what Ben worshipped out from the end of the book of Revelation um, where he's talking about, uh, why don't we go there to the book of Revelation. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to close and see how the Lord would have us respond. Revelation chapter 21, we prayed it out tonight in prayer and then Ben sang about making all things new. And I think this really gives us a good bookend to this. We began in the, book of Reve- in the book of Genesis, seeing that God's heart was to have intimate relationship with us. And now we're in the book. Then we saw God's rescue plan with Christ, how he, how he restored us when we were separated from God. And now we see what his ultimate purpose is in Revelation 21. The heading in my uh, uh, version is the New Jerusalem. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Sound familiar? We're back in the garden, people. 
We're back in the garden forever. He'll wipe, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no pain or deaths or sorrow or crying or pain. Excuse me, no, no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Is that good news? Oh my goodness. I'm ready. Verse 5, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. The other thing we know, and hopefully you get a sense for what the Lord's trying to call us back to, there's a lot of things we can get distracted with, beloved. In our culture, there's a lot going on. How many have some things going on in their life? Okay. How many feel like there's some pulls on your life? Okay. I'm telling you, that's why he says those who are victorious, there's some resisting that needs to happen in our hearts. There are so many things pulling our hearts away from Jesus and away from the Lord in this hour. And the Lord is calling to us. In fact, that was one of the strongest messages out of our three months. If you don't have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus for three months because of your circumstances, maybe the Lord will grant you grace and change your circumstances. Amen? Anybody excited about that? Okay. He does that when we pray crazy prayers. He'll clear your schedule. He's done it to me. Because he, he wants relationship that badly. Do you see from Genesis to Revelation what his sole purpose, his eyes are burning, his heart is zealous. He is so serious about having FaceTime with you that he'll clear your schedule. And I've seen him do it to people. I've seen people who get too busy and the Lord in his mercy shuts them down. They'll lose their job and their house and whatever it takes to bring them to his feet because he longs for them to be able to set down the crowns of a life that's produced eternal fruitfulness. And that means some other things have to go and God's got to make a way. I wish it were different, beloved, but we're finite beings. We've been given 70 or 80 years, the scriptures say, to be here. How many know that is not a long time in the scheme of eternity? It happens this fast. I was talking to a guy the other day who was 50 years old. I said, how fast did your life go up to 50? You guys are, most of you are between 20 and 25. I'm not going to call people out. But you're 20 to 25. You know how, how, how the, what the 50-year-old responded? He said it was like that. I responded to him, you know how fast you're going to be standing before the living God? One more of those. That's not a lot of time. And so time becomes the most valuable thing that we have to offer. How we spend our time. In fact, uh, I'm not going to get into, there's another teaching that we do called Secrets of the Secret Place where we sort of turn from this biblical foundation calling us back to first love intimacy with the Lord this is something that I struggle with, beloved. I mean, I need to be reminded of this on a regular basis because there's so many idols in our hearts vying for our attention and our time. In fact, I'll tell you one quick story. Are we doing okay on time? I'll tell you one quick story. I had a dream, 
And in the dream, I saw a beautiful woman in a white dress. I woke up and said, really, Lord? I thought we'd been through all this sexual purity stuff. What's this all about? The beautiful woman in the white dress. And I felt my heart drawn to her. So I get up and I'm like, what's up with that? I'm married, by the way. And even if I wasn't married, it wouldn't be okay to fantasize about a a woman in a white dress in my dreams. Okay? The Lord's calling us to to a place of purity. So I got up and I kind of wrestled with him. Didn't get anything. It was a couple months later. I was on a trip down to uh, a huge gathering down in Texas called The Response. You may have remembered this. Around the time of the last presidential election, uh, the governor of Texas called a Joel II solemn assembly. There were 40,000 people in a stadium crying out to God for like eight hours. And it was so real. There was no politics involved. And in the middle of that, the Lord showed me a picture of this woman again. And there was like a pageant banner across her torso. And it said, ministry. And the Lord said, you've been having an adulterous affair with ministry, Stephen. I'm calling you back to your first love. So you see, even even things of God can become idols in our hearts. And that's why what he's contending against. And I've I've over the years, I feel like the Lord has given me a really good test to discern whether there's an idol in my heart that's vying for the place of God in my heart. And really what he's saying, you guys know, Matthew 633 says we need to love God more than anything else. How many know that? That is that's where we started in Matthew 22. Love God with everything you have, all your heart, all your mind. What does that leave for everything else? Nothing. He'd say, love me with 99.9% and leave a little itty bit for other stuff. No, he's calling for wholehearted devotion. It's something that's actually not possible, humanly speaking. The Holy Spirit is to come and baptize our heart and draw us into that kind of crazy, head over heels, zeal for Jesus that we do anything that he would ask us to do. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, sovereignly. But we can do things with our weak yes to come into agreement with that process. And I found a test. It's kind of a rubber meets the road test to discern whether there are things in your heart, idols in your heart that are trying to contend against your first love intimacy with God. And it's how do you spend your time? When you've only got 70 or 80 years to live, beloved, how you spend your time is a really good reflection of what you love. And I'm going to be really real with you guys. And I'll let Pastor Paul kind of clean it all up theologically afterwards. Because there's a right place to have a job and to be responsible. And I know he carries that as a shepherd. He's an awesome shepherd. I've grown so much uh, having him as a spiritual father and counselor in my life. And so I know that those things are right and true. But I've talked with brothers and counseled them. If, if your job keeps you from spending time with the Lord, you need to get a new job. <laughs> because I hear that from people. Oh, I'm just so busy with work. I'm so busy with this. I'm so busy with that. I'm like, I get to the point where I just feel like there's a holy zeal that comes over. And I say, brother, you need to change your schedule. Because in, our schedules should reflect our first love intimacy with the Father. And I'll tell you guys how I do it. I, I, I go out two or three months. Clint knows because he does a lot of scheduling with me going to churches and talking with pastors and setting up meetings. I lay in my time with God, and then after that, everything else gets scheduled. My, my date night with my wife, my time with my kids. 
My time with the Lord is actually more important than that. Now, don't get a wrong spirit about it. It's not, you know, you don't get into conversations with your wife and your children, those of you who are married and have families, or even your parents or people that love and care about you, where you start getting religious about it and go, I can't talk to you. I need to be with Jesus. Okay, that gets weird. That's not what I'm talking about. But have a right priority. Prioritize your time with the Lord. It's that serious. It's that real. And I found unless I do that, unless I get deliberate about setting aside time for the Lord, it just doesn't happen. There's too much noise. There's too much pull. There's too much. Anybody ever experienced this battle? Trying to get time with God and all of a sudden it's like it becomes the last thing that you do. And it's got to be the opposite of that. So my exhortation for you tonight is if somehow you've gotten off track with first love intimacy, this is a call back to that place. The three months we spent sitting at the feet of Jesus, you want to know the number one message? The number one message that the Spirit spoke to us? Spend time with me. And how many know in a relationship there's ways we can spend time that aren't really quality time? There are people in marriages and families all over the country that spend a lot of time together, but they have no intimacy. I can come in and leave the house and say hi to my wife and even tell her that I love her. I can tell her that I love her a lot of times as I'm going to bed and as I'm waking up and heading off to work. But you know what? There comes a point where it's a rubber meets the road. And if my wife isn't getting FaceTime from me, things don't go well in my marriage. Anybody married in the house? Anybody try not doing FaceTime with your spouse for extended periods of time? It doesn't go well. Take some counsel before you enter into that awesome covenant. You need to have FaceTime with people. And it's that way with your friends. You don't need to be married to understand this. If your friends don't get FaceTime with you, they start to, don't you start to wonder about those friends that only call when they need something? It's no different in our life in God. Are we only calling when we need something? Or are we valuing and esteeming the incredible price that's been paid so that we can come into the presence of the Lord and discover the mysteries of his heart? If I could get maybe the worship team to come up, Ben, or or, uh, whoever wants to come up and just play some guitar and back. I just hope we can respond. I feel like the Lord wants us to respond to this. And I'm going to do sort of a progressive response. Maybe you're here and you've never really surrendered your life to God. Which, by the way, is how a relationship with him starts. The gospel is an exchange of a life for a life. We take our life that's all messed up and we give it to the Lord and he gives us the life of Christ. How many know that's a really good deal? (laughs) That's a really good deal. If you've never done that and, and you're hearing about this God that's been pursuing you, that wants intimacy with you, that wants you to know him, not know a bunch of stuff about him. There was one group of people Jesus got angrier with than any other, and that was the Pharisees who knew the scriptures front to cover, but they didn't know God. 
If that's you, I want to just ask you to stand. Stand right where you are. If you know that God is calling you and you've never surrendered to him. Or maybe you've been in a church your whole life. But you've never experienced the kind of intimacy that I'm describing to you. Where you weep with the Lord and you rejoice with the Lord and you talk to Him and He talks to you. If that's you, if you've been doing religion for a long time, but something in your heart, the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need, to, you need this. Then I want to ask you to stand up. All eyes open. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. There's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. If you know that's you, just stand up. There's going to be a lot more people standing here in just a minute. Thank you, Lord. Or maybe you were passionate about the Lord at first, but your walk has grown lukewarm or even cold. If that's you, go ahead and stand up. I believe the Lord's going to meet you right where you're at. You, at once upon a time, you were really passionate about Jesus. But you don't know anymore. You're just a little lukewarm or you just feel cool if things seem dry. I believe the Lord's going to meet you as you come and just acknowledge your condition before him. He loves humility. Or maybe you just want more intimacy with Jesus. If that's you, just stand up. If you want more intimacy with Jesus, if you want to know him more, we're going to do something. I just feel like the Lord wants to hear from each of you. I could pray corporately in awesome prayer. But I feel like this is what intimacy is all about. Jesus wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from your heart. So without being embarrassed, because who cares, really? Really? Does anybody really care what the person to the left or right of you thinks at this point? Or do we really want to know God? Go ahead and speak to him. Just, just tell him where you're at. Just tell him where you're at. If you've never felt it, just ask him for his presence to come right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. Make this real to me. Make this real to me. God of the Bible, come. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of the Garden of Intimacy, come. Just let him know. Just talk to him. He longs to hear your voice. He wants to hear your voice, not mine. you're lukewarm to say God I don't know where I went wrong but I want to get back on track I want to just get back on the trail I want to be burning for you again would you come and baptize my heart again and for those who love God with all their hearts you just want more of Jesus just tell him just say Jesus I know there's more I know there's more Keep talking to him. Just keep telling him. He's here. He loves conversations like this. And if you want to be dangerous, you can pray something like this. And I'll just encourage anyone who wants to join in with this. Say, God, do whatever it takes to remove anything that hinders love. Expose the lies. Expose the darkness. 
Fill me with your light and power and fire. Bring me back to first love intimacy and teach me your ways so you can send your glory. Spirit, we commit to you, God, everything we are. Relying on your faithfulness, God, to make us faithful. We throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and we say, Jesus, teach us to sit at your feet. Teach us the radical wisdom of wasting our life in the secret place. That the things we might do in public, God, might actually glorify you that we might be carriers of power, carriers of Your presence, carriers of Your glory, that our faces might shine like Moses, that our faces might shine like the early apostles when they knew of them that they had spent time in the presence of the Lord. We just commit, I just commit these ones. Seal them, God. Seal them to be wholehearted lovers of You. Raise them up to be prophetic voices to this generation, carriers of the presence of God, declares of the glory of God. Just prophesy life and intimacy. Increase the oil of intimacy over each of their lives. Pour out Holy Spirit upon them. Give them practical strategies of how to set aside time. Speak to them about changes in their schedule, God. Things that need to go so that they can properly prioritize time with you 
Speak to them through your word, oh God. Let it come alive. Increase their hunger for worship. Increase their hunger for fasting and prayer. Increase them in the secret place, God. Just speak life. Prophesy life and intimacy over them. True children of God. That you would know each of them and that they would know you, Jesus. That they would be ones that would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and experience joy forevermore at the right hand of the Father. just want to share with you there's another teaching I didn't get into it tonight called Secrets of the Secret Place that really is kind of more the practical how do you position your life to cultivate intimacy with God it's it's really a, a significant teaching we actually teach both of these in, in a training we do called Messenger Boot Camp we're going to be sending out the link to that teaching in the notes in the next Communitas email if there are those of you that know God is stirring something on the inside of you, we have a training. If you look around you, can you guys pick up? There's a flyer, and on it talks about Messenger Boot Camp. Any Messenger Boot Camp grads in the house? Okay, we got some. Messenger Boot Camp is an eight-week intensive. It's costly. It's about 20 hours a week, including training all day on Saturdays, teaching like you heard tonight going deeper in intimacy. The first four weeks is all about intimacy with God. The second four weeks is about how we can partner with the Holy Spirit to lead others into this place of intimacy with the Lord. If you've heard about it or if the Lord's stirring you, I want to encourage you to fill that out. Is this costly? Yes, it is. Does it cost you something to grow in these things? Yes, it does. But anybody who's been through it will tell you it's well worth it. Um, I do have one testimony if we've got time for Dave Parr to just share. He's one of the community tossers that went through. Dave, would you come on up? I just want to give someone who's been through it from this family and this community an opportunity just to share. Give it up for Dave Parr, man. He's a radical Jesus freak. All right. Yeah, boot camp was... Uh... It was life-changing for me. I, it will be life-changing for everybody. You know, that was me. That is me, that really busy guy during the summer. I'm busy. You know, I actually, for the first time, I, I added up my hours last week. It was like 85 hours I was working. I didn't even know that was possible. So I didn't want to do boot camp. I didn't think there was any way I was going to be able to do boot camp. But, you know, God is involved. It it works. It works. I mean, stuff happened, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, basically you start out with this intimacy. You get to learn how to, you get discipled into an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, and you will be able to discern when you're hearing from God and when you're hearing from your own self-will. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just... 
there's no question about it, I guess. Uh, it's exciting. <laughs> Evangelism was something that was really scary to me. I didn't. I thought it was just too scary. By the end of it, it's fun. It's really fun. You know, uh, you get to see that, that light, that glow, when the Holy Spirit falls on somebody who's high on drugs in Minneapolis, and they encounter the Holy Spirit and sober up in an instant. <laughs> you get to see that, and uh, it's exciting. It is really exciting. Um, I guess... Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yes, yes, God, <clears throat> right now, uh, God, we don't always know what to do <laughs> when our flesh is telling us that, no, we don't have time, we don't have time, you know, we don't need that, you know, but I guess sometimes we just have to deny the flesh, sometimes your Holy Spirit comes and gives us the grace we need to deny our flesh and that's what we're praying for right now god is your grace and your mercy uh we need more messengers god i mean we need teachers we need trinity works we need we need people like stephen ugan who are just after the heart of god and god i don't know i don't know how somebody can just speak the word of God into into my heart but he does it and so we just thank you for Stephen and and I just pray that uh, that right now people will just respond and say yes because <laughs> messenger boot camp is a good thing God thank you thank you and uh, it is not too much it is not too much God by the end of messenger boot camp <laughs> We're all gonna miss it, and uh, and uh, so we just we just pray that you will move in our hearts, and uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. And at the end of boot camp, it doesn't just end. You don't just like go home. It's it has a finale, a massive outreach where the Holy Spirit will encounter everybody and you'll see signs and wonders and healings and it's exciting. <laughs> it's really exciting. So, yeah. Good job, Dave. And Stephen, let's say thank you to Stephen. As Bob said, we want this to become now a prayer time. And so find one other person. Now as I'm talking, find one other person that you can pray for regarding what you heard tonight. Time alone with God. Find somebody now. Turn to them. We'll also have people up here. Stephen will be here. Others, prayer ministers will be up here. If you want to pray with somebody about this matter or anything on your heart, physical emotional, spiritual issue. I want somebody to pray with you. But first, you're going to pray right there where you are. This becomes a prayer center right now. We're going to head up. Those that are new, you'll go up to the 
family room with Bob. We'll head up there now. If you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, I'll be up in the living room. So we'll go that way. So this isn't fellowship time. We got food upstairs. You can have fellowship time upstairs, but this is time for prayer right now. <laughs> 